And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. Yes, it's another week. It's also the beginning of June. It's, the, of course, the uh, last month in the quarter, which means, yes, Earnings season right around the corner again. We'll be there right before you know it. Now, the, the, the difference, though, of course, is now we're entering the blackout period for stock buybacks. So one of the uh, supports for the markets over the course of the next month are going to be re- removed here a little bit as corporations heading into next quarter's earnings will begin to move into a blackout period. So Apple, Microsoft, others that have recently announced big stock buybacks um, they're not going to be able to do that at least for a couple of weeks. And then after we get out of the earnings season, they report earnings and they pick back up again. But anyway, that's going to be one support that kind of gets removed from the markets. But uh, right now, we don't need them anyway. Retail investors are getting all excited about the market, of course, on Friday. A very big move for the Dow. We've talked about this uh, just recently, that market was very kind of one-sided and that technology stocks we're kind of outpacing everything else and that we would see eventually a rotation. Well, on Friday, now whether or not this is sustainable or not, it's another question, but on Friday we did see that rotation. Small caps, mid caps, everything that's been out of favor lately had a very big day on short covering. And and of course, uh, that led to a bit of a rally on Friday. Dow was up about 700 points, one of the better moves that we've had this year for the Dow. Um, But nonetheless, this has now put the S&P well into uh, three standard deviation territory above the 50-day moving average. Now, that's some technical mumbo jumbo. But what that means is, is that we've kind of kind of stretched the market here a little bit short term. So uh, a bit of a relaxation, a little bit of a a, a just kind of a correction here back towards the 50 day moving average would not be surprising. Doesn't mean it has to happen. But normally uh, when markets can get this far above their moving averages, you tend to get a little bit of a pullback. Uh, moving averages just over time since in order to have a moving average, you have to trade both above and below that moving average suggests that you know, moving averages kind of act like gravity. So when, when prices get too far above that moving average, the gravitational pull kind of pulls that price back towards the 50-day moving average. Um, but again, we're clearly on a buy signal right now, really on, on every kind of measure that we use in the short term. So it does suggest higher prices here in the short term. So again, a bit of a pullback here to support would not be surprising. That'd be a good buying opportunity to add some exposure to your portfolio. But again, the big question is, is, you know, kind of what happens here over the months of summer. Now we are moving into the seasonally weak time of the year. Uh, for stocks just in general, June, July, August tend to be weaker months, September. Um, so we're likely going to get a correction here and a buyable opportunity. So again, you can kind of be a little bit patient here. Be careful about rushing into things. Uh, there are stocks that are very, very overbought right now, others that are very, very oversold. So again, this idea of this rotation uh, within the market certainly would not be surprising. And again, kind of what we saw on Friday wouldn't, wouldn't surprise us to see a little bit of that continue over the course of, of the summer. And again, this is something that doesn't happen to happen, have, have to happen all at once, 
but just something that can happen a little bit over time. Uh, over the weekend, though, of course, kind of the big news came from OPEC, and they announced a kind of a voluntary production cut. Obviously, they like higher oil prices like everybody else that produces oil. Um, and, and so we did see oil prices. Actually, we've kind of seen oil prices moving up here recently. Oil prices, as an example, we're talking about what's been overbought and oversold. Everybody's been chasing technology stocks. Energy prices have been very depressed. Commodity prices coming down. Um, they had gotten pretty oversold here, and we did see a bit of a lift over the last couple of days, and that was kind of kind of in anticipation of this OPEC meeting for OPEC Plus and this thought that they would potentially cut production a bit. Uh, they did announce that over the weekend they're going to cut production by about a million barrels. That's going to lead to a little bit more of a rally this morning. Oil prices are up about 2% this morning on that news. Um, that's also you know, on a buy signal as well. Um, we'd recently added some energy stocks into the portfolio just because energy stocks had gotten so beaten up here. Um, if we do get a rotation in the markets, which like I said, we saw a little bit of on Friday, um, you should see some participation in areas like energy, financials, healthcare, uh, staples, which have been under a lot of pressure as of late. So again, uh, the markets are doing just fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the market in general. Uh, markets trends continue to be very bullish here, but again, they are overbought. The last few times that the markets have been as overbought as they are right now, um, again, just kind of going back in, in, in recent history here, you don't have too many periods where markets have reached, you know, kind of these upper ends of these ranges. Each one of these had led to some type of at least short-term correction. And, and yes, you can say, well, that was all during a bear market last year, and that's true. But um, you know, we go back through history, and it's just a function whether it's bull markets or bear markets in general. Um, when markets get this overbought, you tend to get a pullback. So again, think about taking a little bit. Of, we talked about this last week, taking a little bit of profit off the table. Just if you've got some tech stocks, they've been doing really great lately. Reduce those a little bit. Um, if you've got other positions in your portfolio that haven't been doing well here, reduce those a little bit as well. And again, as you have a bit of a rally here, kind of rebalance your portfolio a bit, and and kind of get that kind of that risk tolerance back in line where it should be. Things time to get out of whack a bit when you have these kind of exacerbated moves over a very short period like we've seen just over the last week or so um, once we kind of broke out of that consolidation. So a uh, lot of stuff to get into this morning, of course. We had the big employment report on Friday. Um, you know, again, interesting there from the standpoint that we've had 14 straight beats uh, on employment number and that data was very strong on Friday, at least at the headline. Um, some of the numbers underneath not as exciting, but overall, Employment, economics in general, tend to still be doing fairly strongly here. This brings up the big, the big question, which we'll talk about this morning, is next week, right? I mean, if we start looking at June the 14th, that's the next Fed meeting. Will they, won't they? That's going to be the big debate. We got a little bit of a quiet week this week uh, in terms of economic data. Not a whole lot coming out. We have some, but not, not a tremendous amount. So markets get a little bit of breather from the data this week. But next week's going to be the big debate on the Fed meeting. Will they, won't they hike rates? That's going to be the question. Um, you know, this is, this is where, you know, a lot of this angst is really kind of coming from. We kind of live from this one meeting to the next, and the market continues to kind of climb this wall of worry. And that's been frustrating. Um, something else we'll talk about this morning is what happened to the recession, right, that everybody was expecting. We talked about this last year. Everybody was expecting a recession. Never showed up, 
will it show up? And of course, uh, one other last topic we went into this morning is the TGA funding. This is, of course, this refunding of the Treasury's balance sheet following the debt ceiling deal. Now, a lot of people are concerned that this is going to bring a big jump in rates. There's not enough people to buy the bonds that are out there. Is that the, is that the issue? I mean, is the refunding of the TGA going to be the extraction of liquidity that sends markets tumbling? You know, we'll talk about it and, and kind of look at what's happening, what does it mean, and of course, what does this mean for both interest rates and potentially for stocks because there is a correlation uh, that comes from the liquidity relative to the market. So we'll get into all that this morning. Lots of stuff to get into, of course. Uh, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog, uh, oh, sorry, our latest uh, newsletter is out, uh, of course, as our daily market commentary is on the website now uh, for this morning. It's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions and comments while you're there as well. Always happy to answer your questions. Just simply click that box at the top on the webpage. Send us your questions. Happy to answer them for you. realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare I plum missed that candy coffee. Whatever am I gonna do? Don't you worry, little darling. We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? I never! The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all of our past presentations from Candid Coffee and Lunch and Learn, the special topic discussions, and all of our live show recordings preserved for you. Subscribe now to the Real Investment Show YouTube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. So on Friday, um, we had the employment report out for the month of May, and it came in over 300,000 jobs. Uh, and, and this was a Six Sigma beat of what the estimates were. And so what was what is interesting um, about the employment numbers that are coming out, of course, everybody's just kind of scratching their head right now. It's like, wow, these employment numbers just remain exceptionally strong. And they have been. And what's interesting is we're beating estimates. You know, they you know they survey all the economists and analysts, and they say, "What do you think the employment number is going to be next month?" Everybody throws out their best guess, and for 14 months in a row, those estimates have been lower than what the actual number was. And in a lot of cases, over the last 14 months, it hadn't even been close. It's just been a, a very big um, differential. Now, this is the longest stretch in recorded history anyway, so far as we can go back, of where the employment numbers are beating the estimates by this magnitude. Now, what does that mean? Well, it just means that the analysts are, and economists are consistently wrong, or they're just sandbagging numbers to make things look better. One of the two, but um, 
you know, nonetheless, the employment numbers have been very strong. Now, what was interesting about this latest em uh, employment report was that there was a very, very big um, birth death adjustment. Now, this is the number that is plugged into the measures, right? That say, okay, what we can't, what we don't know, right? So we can look at data like the ADP report and say, okay, how many people signed up for payroll? How many people off? So we can calculate that stuff. What we don't know is the number of people that are going out to become self-employed. Now, if you just pick up a TikTok app or um, you know anything like that on social media, there's everybody telling you how to go out and do drop ship selling and uh, set up your own store or, or you know do you know sell ads or use Chat, BT, chat GPT to write eBooks and put them on Amazon to sell. So what the BLS tries to do is they plug in this number to account for people that are forming a business. And this is this birth-death adjustment. How many births were done in a month of new businesses? Because theoretically, when you start a business, you're employing at least one person, which would be you, right? You start the business, you're the employee. And that's not really the case. We have about... 30 million businesses in the United States, only about 6 million of them have employees. Well, where are all the other 24 million businesses, right? <laughs> Why are these people starting corporations and not employing anybody? Well, therefore, estate planning for trust for other, a variety of issues, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to have rental properties. So I set up an LLC for each one of my rental properties and stick it in. There's no employees. But there's, an, there's a business created, there's a business formation for the purpose of holding that asset. So that's why you have 30 million businesses, but only 6 million of them actually have employees. Okay, here's the, here's the interesting part of the data. There's two parts of the employment report. There is the official BLS report, and then there's the household survey. The household survey is what is used to derive the official BLS report. Employment actually declined in the household survey, but that's not even the interesting part. That happens from time to time. Again, because we do all these kind of mathematical adjustments for seasonality and all these type of things, but we did see the household survey employment decline. What was interesting is, is the number of people saying they were self-employed declined. And this has always been the problem with the birth death adjustment. The birth death adjustment almost always adds jobs to the number. But when we actually dig into how many businesses were formed versus how many went out of business, and in the most recent survey, how many, how many people no longer claim to be self-employed, declined. So there, were, there have been a lot more deaths of those businesses than what is actually reported in the BLS report. So again, uh, you know, these numbers are exceptionally strong, at least on the headline, and it's been it's been a conundrum, right? And and again, this is one of the reasons why the National Bureau of Economic Research, who is the organization that dates recessions, have not said that we're in a recession because employment remains very strong at this point. So you can't have a recession unless you have rising unemployment. Right. That's just kind of the math of it. So 
regardless of how you kind of look at the data, there's been plenty of data, inverted yield curves, manufacturing, et cetera. And we talked about this in, in not this past weekend's newsletter, but the week before, is that if you take a look at the services side of the economy versus the manufacturing side of the economy, the manufacturing side of the economy is in recession. Services are not. Since services make up 80% of the economy, that's why you're not in a recession. So all this recession talk that we had last year, remember we were talking about this on the show, it's like everybody expects a recession, can't have one when everybody expects a recession. And the reason is, is if everybody expects a recession to happen, they act accordingly and then you can't get the recession. It's, it's expectations. And markets price this stuff in. So when markets are pricing all this stuff in, this, is, this has been the big head scratcher, which is, why is the market rallying from the October lows? We're up more than 20% from the October lows. Historically, once you do that, you're done with the bear market. So everybody's expecting a bear market now, and you've got all this speculation now into tech stocks and mega cap stocks and AI. And everybody's like, well, wait a minute. I'm sitting all in money market and treasury bills waiting for this big crash, and it's just not coming. And it may not. But this is, the, this is the big conundrum, right? And now you've got the Federal Reserve coming up next week, and we're going to talk about this after the break a little bit. But as we said before, rising stock markets are not Fed-friendly, right? Because that eases financial conditions in the market. The one thing that the Fed wants is they want tighter financial conditions in the market. They, they're trying to slow the economy down. They want unemployment to come up and, and so this is a pro so this employment number on friday is a real problem for the fed because they want higher unemployment they want four and a half to five percent unemployment that will bring down inflationary pressures by reducing demand in the economy they're okay with a recession a mild one right they don't want a bad one but they they're okay with a mild recession that will bring down inflation to where their target rate is which is close to that two percent mark the problem for the Fed, of course, is, is that while headline inflation is coming down, core inflation's not. It's remaining fairly sticky. This is problematic for the Fed. So the problem becomes in is this dichotomy between what's happening in the markets, what's happening with the Fed, and what's happening in the real economy. On the manufacturing side, again, we have definite, definitely a slowdown in activity. If you take a look at what's happening with employment inside the manufacturing businesses, they are slowing down. If you take a look at what's happening on the on the service side of the economy, that's where all the hiring is, right? So we're still hiring people for leisure, healthcare, all that type of stuff. Those are lower wage lower wage paying jobs. Most of those are part time jobs. That was another sideline from that recent employment report almost all the jobs that were created were part-time temporary help big chunk of it so headline numbers very strong it's problematic but once you start digging down into the details of the report plenty of issues that suggests the economy is weakening and that things are slowing down here. And again, that's not surprising. We, we have uh, estimates for the second quarter now running between about one and a half and 2%, depending on who you talk to. 
So economic growth is continuing to slow because, and when I, when I say that, you go, well, economic growth at 2% for the second quarter. Okay, so first of all, you divide that by four because that's annualized. So actual economic growth in the second quarter is around half a percent. But that's slowing dramatically. Even if 2%, we were at almost 12% annualized growth rates because of that massive function of liquidity that was dumped into the economy. We had this massive surge in nominal GDP growth. So we were down sharply in 2020, right? Uh, you remember that in the second quarter, we had that big 30% decline in GDP in the second quarter. Then third quarter, we had this massive 30% jump in GDP because of all that liquidity. So everybody went out and spent their money. And since then, that number has been coming down, right? And we're returning back to that long-term trend of about 2% annualized growth. So if 2% annualized growth is where the economy is headed, which it is, that's also where eventually inflation will wind up at. Yields will come back down to 2%-ish around there as well. Because those are all a function of each other. But again, this, this employment number has been a bit of a conundrum because, again, it's just everybody expects every quarter, that, okay, this is the month that we're going to see this real big slowdown in employment and hiring, and it just hasn't happened yet. So either at this point economists are going to turn around and start really hiking these employment numbers going, well, every every month this number comes in 250 or better. I'm, I'm just going to start raising my estimates. So my estimate for the next, you know, next month in June is employment is going to be 300,000 jobs. <clears throat> so either economists are going to hike their estimates and you eventually get a miss of employment. Or we actually do see employment finally starting to recognize what we're seeing in some of the other areas of, of the economy. We'll find out. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve, and I want to get into this TGA funding deal. These are kind of the two of the big topics over the weekend. I got lots of emails on this, this whole TGA refunding thing. But uh, I do want to touch on what the Fed's going to do coming up next week as well, because that's going to be the, the next focal point for the market. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So uh, next week... On the 14th um, is the next Fed meeting. And, of course, this is the next hurdle, right? And, and this is just the way the markets have been now for the last year and a half is we just kind of go from one economic report to the next to one Fed meeting to the next. Oh, my gosh, it's almost this breathless anticipation of what's going to happen next. Is the market going to survive? And the markets keep climbing this wall of worry. And so the next big wall of worry is next Friday, uh, sorry, next week, which is going to be when the Fed talks about whether or not they're going to hike rates. Now, 
at the last meeting, the Federal Reserve opened the door for a pause on rate hikes. And they opened that door by saying, hey, we're hiking rates by 25 basis points. Employment remains strong, blah, 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 blah. You know, made their normal kind of statements about the economy. But what, where they left the door open and what the markets kind of seized on to as the pause was coming, and, part, and this was part and par, parcel of the rally we've been having, is they said that tighter bank lending standards – will act as further rate hikes on the economy. And so everybody kind of took this as saying, well, that means the Fed's done. They're going to let bank lending standards step in for further rate hikes. And the Fed's going to kind of just watch this lag effect. And the Fed mentioned that as well, this lag effect of rates. They've been talking about this for a while. Let that lag effect of all these rate hikes catch up to the economy, and they should see this slowing of economic activity. But haven't really seen it yet, right? So the problem for the Fed now, though, is that markets continue to run hot. That has to be a concern for them because, again, as we've said before, that higher asset prices boost consumer confidence, which allows people to go out and spend more money, et cetera, which is basically a loosening of financial conditions. And that's not what the Fed wants. The Fed wants tighter financial conditions in order to slow consumption, raise raise unemployment, and bring down economic activity. So inflation will come down, especially that inflation on the core, which is not coming down as fast as the Fed would like. This is the challenge of the Fed. The, the market is now starting to price in potentially another rate hike. And potentially this is really not you know, kind of a big deal at this point. The markets are getting used to this. But this kind of pers persistent strength that we keep seeing in the economy, at least on the headline, right? Now, we can look underneath the surface, and there's lots of fractures in the economy. We're talking about manufacturing and those type of issues, certainly showing signs of weakness. Services is, is still remaining fairly strong here. But what the market has been betting on in this really a big part of this rally from the October 2022 lows has been on this idea that the Fed was going to start cutting rates. And so we go back over the last decade and, and whenever the Fed has been cutting rates, they've also been doing quantitative easing, which has boosted asset prices, right? All this liquidity, this monetary accommodation. So what the Fed's been what so what the market's been betting on since October is that the Fed is going to be done hiking rates and they're going to immediately start cutting rates. The problem is is this stronger economic data that is more persistent is now pushing out further and further those rate cuts. So the market is now running well ahead of what the what the the expectation was which was that the Fed would pivot and start cutting rates. As we, when we've written articles on this before, when the Fed is cutting and pivoting, pivoting to cut rates, that's not really good for stocks initially because something's gone wrong. You've broken the economy. Something's happened. That's why they're cutting rates. They're cutting rates to try to solve a problem. They just don't cut rates 
just because. And they're certainly not going to cut rates with employment at full employment, creating 300,000 jobs a month, wages doing okay, work week slowed down a little bit. But there's nothing going on right now that would suggest that the Fed needs to cut rates. In fact, there's more going on that says maybe they need to hike rates further. And that's not what the market's been pricing into, and especially, especially on the NASDAQ side, all these tech stocks, which are interest rate and inflation sensitive because these are growth stocks, right? So the, so interest rates and inflation have everything to do with duration, and these are long-duration assets. You're betting on future growth in these companies. And so what's going on with the Fed is certainly not tech stock friendly, but the markets are completely ignoring all of that right now. And that's that, that happens, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you're going to have to have a, a moment of recognition. And that, and no, stop. That does not mean I'm saying the market's about to crash. You're going to have a correction at some point, but that doesn't mean that the, the recent rally is going back to 3000 on the index, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. So don't, don't walk away with that. You are going to get a correction of five to seven to 10%. Won't be surprising at all. By the way, that's normal in any given year. So again, that's an opportunity to, to buy stuff when that occurs, not to panic sell. But this is a good point now about taking some profits out of your portfolio. Like I said, at the, at the opening of the, of the show this morning, Markets are very overbought short-term, so look to take a little bit of money off the table, rebalance there a little bit. Certainly not a bad idea. Back to the Fed here. Expectations have been that rates would fall before December. In fact, just a couple of months ago, markets were expecting over 100 basis, over a 1% cut in Fed funds rates by the end of this year. That's getting pushed out. The second half rate cut cycle is, is rapidly disappearing from the table. We're now starting to see potential rate cuts shoved out into 2024. But remember, as I said, you know, the important thing here is that, you know, the further we have to push these rate cuts out, that's more time for this lag effect of the previous rate hikes to come into the markets. Now, this is the important takeaway from this. So don't go and say, okay, well, Lance just said these, this lag effect is going to come into the markets and that's going to be the, no, we got, got to be careful with this. The more time that the market has to absorb the lag effect of these rate hikes, the more time the market has to adjust for the impact on the economy. Expectations for earnings growth, expectations for corporate profits, all that's getting factored in. This is, what, this, is, this is the problem of what we said was last year when everybody was expecting that recession, right? We had every, no, no matter what you did, you turned on the television, the media, whatever, everybody was talking about a recession. The reason the market didn't completely fall apart was because the things that were happening within the economy, the slowdown, the Fed hiking rates, it was occurring in 
over a, over a period of time, they were these events were spaced out. The bank failures, et cetera, all these events were spaced out over time. So it kept allowing the market to adjust for these events. And so we would have an we would have an event. The market would sell off. Then the market would kind of get itself together, rally back from very oversold conditions. Then the next event would happen. So we'd sell off again, get oversold, then the market would rally back. And that kept the market from just having this watershed moment, right? Everybody kept expecting the Lehman moment where it was this watershed event where everything, the bottom just fell out of everything at once and it didn't occur because everything was kind of spaced out. We talked about this in a recent newsletter talking about rolling recession. And because all this was spaced out and the Fed was, you know, talking their game. Of course, they were sending out Fed speakers to talk about, hey, this is what we're doing. They were getting well telegraphed what was going on. The markets went up and down, but the reality of all the expectations never came around. Now, the case for that recession in terms of expectations is falling apart. Because now we're starting to see it's, and again, you take a look at services. Those have actually turned higher recently. Very likely, we've now seen a turn in earnings between the fourth quarter and the first quarter. If that continues, if second quarter continues to improve in terms of earnings, you're going to start seeing the economic data improve. So once we begin to see that trough in the economic data, if it comes, this is going to be a different position for the markets and for the economy and potentially for the Fed. Here's the problem with this idea of Fed rate cuts. The market keeps expecting the Fed to cut rates, but if the market, if the economy begins to improve here, inflation continues to slow down, even at the core, even though slow, there's no real reason for the Fed to cut rates. The Fed may pause, and we'll see at this meeting next week. Again, there's not, a, there's not a big support here for the Fed to pause. The Fed probably needs to hike rates again. We'll see what happens next week, see what they say. But there's no case right now, at the moment at least, for the Fed to cut rates. Okay. We'll come back after the break. I want to talk about the TGA. This is the debt ceiling deal. Now the Treasury has to refund their balance sheet. What does that mean? Talk about that after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So the... The next big crisis moment, again, this is all running over Twitter and a whole variety of stuff. Got lots of emails over the weekend um, concerned over now that the debt ceiling deal is done, that the Treasury now has to refund their general account. This is the TGA, the Treasury General Account. And this is the cash pot that they use to pay bills with, right? So... Just a just a quick recap. When the debt ceiling 
when we hit the debt ceiling, the Treasury can't issue additional debt in order to pay for our spending that is above and beyond the revenue that we have coming in. So every month, the Treasury gets revenue from taxes, other sources. And so they use that as a function to pay our bills with. And then if there's spending above and beyond what comes in in terms of revenue, which there always is because we're running a trillion and a half dollar deficit, then they have to issue debt. And this is why we're at 31 trillion debt and, and climbing. We have to issue that. So we hit the debt ceiling and all of a sudden we can't issue any more debt. So now we're living just on cash needs. The Treasury has to go out and what, implement what they call emergency measures. And they borrow funds from federal pension funds, et cetera, wherever they can get it to pay bills with until the debt ceiling is raised. And, and again, we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum. We've written, you know, if you go search our newsletter archives, there's plenty there about the whole debt ceiling crisis. It's not a crisis. It's not an issue. And, you know, I, I love the, you know, the breathless commentary that was that's out in the media. It's like um, Biden signs debt ceiling deal averting unprecedented economic catastrophe. It's the headline. No. A, it's not unprecedented. It would only be unprecedented if it actually happened that we default on our debt, but that was never going to happen. That was never a risk. But it makes for great headlines. But now with that behind us, we now have to pay back all that money that we borrowed from other sources. Estimates run between $600 billion and a $1 trillion. It's like, oh my gosh, if the Fed, if the, if the Treasury has issued that much debt at once, there's just simply not enough buyers for that. And, and all of a sudden, you know, interest rates are just going to go to the moon. This is going to be terrible. This is going to just wipe out everything. Hold on a second. So first of all, the Treasury is going to issue bills, short-term bills. Three months, six months, nine months, one-year bills. Why? The reason they will issue short bills is because the Treasury doesn't want to lock in rates at 3.7% for 10, 20, or 30 years to refund money they've got coming in in terms of revenue. So they're going to issue mostly short-term bills. Most of the bills that most of the debt that's been issued in recent years, like the last couple, have been mostly short-term bills. We haven't been issuing a, a tremendous amount of tenure. We've been issuing some tenure treasuries, but not a tremendous amount. Most of the bills, most of the bonds being issued are bills, short term. But yeah, but Lance, yeah, this, the, the, the still, somebody's got to buy this stuff. Okay, that's true. If you go back and look at the average auction sides, we did like 315 auctions in 2022 they average about 40 billion dollars an auction so you kind of do the math if you've got to you know raise a trillion dollars as an example on the high end you know if you have to do quite a few auctions right if you have to do 600 billion in auctions you're gonna have to do about 15 auctions we had 315 in 2022. So getting, you know, over the course of time, getting a trillion dollars worth of debt issued is not a big deal. 
but they've got to do it fairly quickly to get these refundings done. Okay. Where is all the money going right now in terms of investor capital? Where's a big chunk of that going? Yes, lately it's been going into to individual stocks, chasing tech. But what's been the big hubbub over the last several months about where people are all stashing their money? I'll give you a second to think about it. Money markets. 5% money markets. That's all everybody talks about, right? I need to go out. I need to buy five. You know, there, there's T-bills at 5%. I'm going to go stick all my money into T-bills right now because I can get 5% of my money. I have to worry about anything. I'm going to stick my money into money market funds. So I can get 4 plus percent on money market funds. I'm going to stick my money over there and not have to worry about anything. That's where all the flows have been going. This is hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars. And not just individuals. This is also corporations that have massive cash balances, that they're sticking into money markets and short-term bills. Okay. What do money market funds own? Short-term bills. Reverse repos, short-term debt, three months, six months. They don't really go out much further than that because they've got to have lots of liquidity. They need to have these rolling balances. But most all of these money market funds they have a huge demand right now for short-term bills. So this whole TGA funding thing may not be the big catastrophe everybody's expecting because the demand for short-term bills, again, and what do people do, right? Oh, I'm, ter I'm terrified of what's going to happen with this TGA funding so what am I going to do? I'm going to go stick my money in the money market. I'm going to go buy treasury bills because, you know, I, I, I don't want, you know, there's there, everybody's saying that the TGA refunding is going to cause the market to collapse. Well, if they go shove all their money into money market funds, what happens? Money market funds have to go buy short-term bills. Who are they going to get short-term bills from? From the treasury. So... I'm not saying that there's not going to be a consequence of having to, to refund the TGA. And certainly I wouldn't be surprised to see interest rates tick up here a little bit. That would not be a surprise at all. But it is unlikely that we're going to see this massive, this cataclysmic surge in rates because of this TGA refunding. And everybody just goes, nobody's going to buy bonds. There's just too many bonds got to be issued. Nobody's going to want to buy them. You know, yeah, these 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 auction sizes are going to be larger than normal. And when that happens, rates will probably go up a little bit. And they'll be over. There's most likely enough demand out there to support that. Okay, let's talk about the equity market for a moment. There is a little bit of a risk to the equity market. So one of the things that has been driving the market since the October low is that despite the fact that the Fed is doing quantitative tightening, right, the Fed is not buying bonds, they're selling bonds. Actually, they're not even selling bonds. What they're doing is they're allowing bonds to mature and they're not replacing them. So that is an extraction of a buyer in the bond market. 
And so we've been tracking this liquidity flow in the markets. There's a, there's a correlation between liquidity and the markets. And so one of the ways that we track liquidity is through the, the liquidity index, which is the Fed's balance sheet, expansion or, or reduction, plus the TGA funding, plus or minus the RRP, which is the reverse repo. And if you take a look at that index, it has a very high correlation to what the stock market does because stock market is a function of liquidity at the end of the day. So once the TGA goes into refunding, liquidity is going to probably decline to some degree. That should lead to that correction we were talking about in the market earlier in the show, that 5 to a 10% correction, which would not be a surprise, happens every single year. All you need is a catalyst. Well, that could be a catalyst for the equity markets. The, the, the refunding of the TGA is not going to be a big issue for the bond market, but it could be a small issue for the equity market just because of the reversal of some of the liquidity short term. Again, the refunding of the TGA is going to happen pretty quickly. It's not going to be something that drags on for months and months and months and months and months. So, again, a, a, a bit of a, a correction in the markets here. Markets very overbought, got very ahead of themselves right now. So, again, a little bit of a pullback here would not be surprising. That would coincide with a slowdown in liquidity. That will give you an opportunity to put some capital to work if you want. So far, and this is the important thing, so far, the markets appear to have completed their bottom in October, November, and December. So if you're still betting on a bear market, you're at least for the moment on the wrong side of the of, of the of the trade. Now, again, anything anything can change. Anything is possible. But we have to remember we have to manage the market that we have. So again. Opportunity this summer for a pullback. Opportunity to put some capital to work. We'll walk you through it best we can. Stay tuned to the Real Investment Show along the way. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. Click the little bell icon. Subscribe. We appreciate it. Also, make sure and subscribe to our Before the Bell channel, which is where we do our three minutes on markets and money every morning. So we have two different channels. Subscribe to both. Keep you up to date on everything happening with the markets and your money. I'm Real Science Roberts. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Investment Show today. See you back here tomorrow.